Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, podcast where two comedians talk like experts on topics they're not experts on. We have subscriptions available, neilcolhacker.com slash podcasts. All revenue from the subscriptions goes towards charity, 100% of it. Uh, I have a weekly show in Sydney every Thursday, 7 p.m., Potts Point Hotel, comedy, improv, We're hopefully going to be live streaming that soon as well. So stay tuned for that if you're not from Sydney. Jordan is touring as well. He has dates coming up in, I think, Melbourne and all over Australia. Where else are you touring? I fucking know some of the places now. They're like getting into very obscure towns. I know the Central Coast. That's a place. Uh, Look, uh, uh, check out my website. I don't know where I'm going. Okay. He may not be going to Wollongong, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Drama unfolding. <laughs> hey, yes, yeah, stay tuned. So that's going to be a rumble for the ages. Fri- f- the people of Wollongong versus friendly Geordies. Oh, I love that. <laughs> what a rumble. Oh, there's a lot of hipsters in Wollongong now. I know. So because of these cunts, but anyway. Move there to because there's a burgeoning music, local music scene from what I heard. So mm-hmm. uh, after the lockouts, a lot of. Good. Get, get them out of Sydney. Thank God. <laughs> that is sick, isn't it? That, mm. You're so right. Sydney has been feeling a lot better now, and now I realise why. <laughs> Triple J Sharehouse guns have Because they there. fucked off. <laughs> oh, that's such a nice Look, they're, feeling. They're good value on a Saturday night, but I, I don't think I could ever live in one. You know those really typical sharehouses, the bong sharehouses, where there's just six to eight hipsters. There's, you know, two to three girls with a lot of tattoos and bang fringes and Doc Martens. All of them smoke rollies. A lot of guys that wear oversized shirts and skinny jeans and beanies and have a moustache. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's such a bad image. It's very Newtown or very Fitzroy in Melbourne. <laughs> nah, you they, know they're, what? They're, they're, they're fun they they can be fun but they're very i feel like they always Dude, they always feel you... like they're being judged exactly so you are in that mode the whole time and you know that like you're gonna say something that is gonna make them bitch about you as soon as you leave that's the feeling that i get out of those situations yeah, having it. said that <laughs> i think that you did make the nice qualifier of it's good on a saturday night when you're in your late teens and early 20s yes but then after that, you kind of it's just start once in a get month. sick of fucking treading on eggshells, really. True. I, I, I suppose every other Saturday night, if you're in the corporate life, would be quite boring anyway. Well, it would get repetitive. It's just money-hungry cunts trying to fuck like the 20-year-old girls in the office. <laughs> 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 yeah, all the like, mid-30s guys that are borderline married trying to like get in with the 23-year-old intern. <laughs> That's what I imagine, like, corporate work parties are like. <laughs> you know what? You're really painting very accurate and vivid <laughs> images of both of them. I think it's just like <laughs> there's a time for partying and it's teens to early 20s. And then after that, no, you got to stop that lifestyle. Oh, they never do, though. No, absolutely You're not. You're the one person that that, that has stopped. I can't think of any party scenes that I think are nice now. Yeah, I I don't like parties. I'll still have nights out, don't get me wrong, often involved in my 
one you, of my seven deadly sins. But true, true. But uh, I don't go to parties. I can't go to parties or clubs or just loud big events. Yuck. Yeah, they're gross. Actually, you know what I think might be an exemption to that? You know who I do like going to parties with? Cunts from the western suburbs. Uh, they have backyards. Yes and they no. They put on bonfires. Uh, yeah, but the conversation after it's great banter for 30 minutes and then you realize it's all it, it, your banter is just like insulting each other. Like, yes, yes. After a while, you get tired. You it's better than it's better than I'd rather that party than a than a hipster party. Yeah, or any- even an upper class or rich party. But uh, even they get tiring after a while. But it just seems like everyone else isn't really partying. If you're not at a party where there are homemade fireworks getting, you know, lit. Like, just going back to something where it's just people being like, yeah, yeah, we're just going to, this new Tame's new album. How about that? Like, it's that's not a party, dude. That's people sitting around on milk crates. Chuck us the billy. Yeah. The billy. <laughs> At least call them cones like they do in the West. Come to my band. They're playing. Or, no, no, okay. I think the, because the lads are back in trend, I think they're right. Own K's. <laughs> yeah, own gays, bro. Now that's a that's a subculture I have never partied with. I don't think I want to party with lads. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that would actually be. I would become like a woke Buzzfeed. I'd be like, this is fucking problematic. Like there'd be some like, <laughs> me too shit that goes down at a lad party for sure. We <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck. She wanted it, eh? But she's. <laughs> Look at that skirt. She fucking wanted it, bruh. <laughs> I reckon that shit would yeah. But then the chiefs of car the, theft. The girl would probably be like, <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck off, Tyson. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> fucking have a tiny dick, cunt. <sighs> Get on the shard. Rats in FB. <laughs> I really don't understand why so many of them look so ratty. Yeah, yeah. There's a, this, well, I think everybody has pride over lads. <laughs> That's why this it's the prideful podcast. No, but look, all the money goes to charity, so we're we're yeah, we're, we have the position. It's actually a very selfish thing for us to do. <laughs> now we're in morally invincible. You can't get mad at anything we say on this podcast. Also, you don't want the kids in Africa to survive. Then I guess. Yeah, we're just going to manipulate. We're going to emotionally manipulate anyone who ever tries to cancel this podcast. Well, I guess you don't care about the lives of starving kids. Well, it's how I've gotten away <laughs> with being cancelled in the past. It's, it's like such a good tactic. You are like the You literally are. People are like, oh, he's turning into the Mark Latham of millennials. But, like, man, you are, you are harder than him, bro. You can say, like, <laughs> the shit you say. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> No, I love, I love, what I love about you is that you don't fit the mold of the the, the type of person that would be cancelled, which is basically from their perspective, like someone uneducated, whereas you're far more educated than any of the people trying to cancel, <laughs> which it just makes it really funny. Like you and Jordan Peterson have that in common. Um, I want to, I want to say, I think I messaged you this a few weeks ago, but I finally read Why Him, Why Her. Mm. Uh, it took me a long time. As this is a book Jordan swears by, he has. If you're an avid listener of this podcast, he often mentions it, 
And now that I've read it, I, I cannot recommend this enough. It is life-changing. It is one of a handful of books for me that is genuinely life-changing and I think has, well, I don't think it would be a stretch to say it has transformed my life and the way I look at people and the way I now categorize people. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so the basic gist of the book, which I think Jordan has probably explained on previous podcasts, but let's do it again anyway, is that there are four categories of human beings based on the primary chemical that's circulating in their brain. Now, that is either dopamine, serotonin, testosterone, or estrogen. Uh, if you are a dopamine-centered person, you strive for adventure, for fun, for new experiences, for spontaneity. Uh, you are aptly termed the explorer. If you are a serotonin-centered person, you are a builder. You strive for security, order, rules, but not in an oppressive way, in an organized way you need organization you need predictability uh if you have testosterone you strive for well you're very ambitious you usually have a cause or uh, something that you're aiming towards you can be quite combative competitive in some ways even aggressive and you are a director often a leader uh if if you if estrogen is your primary chemical you are a negotiator so you're a very feelings-based person you love to connect with people, share personal stories. You're very empathetic. You are uh, usually very loving and warm, generous, kind. I suppose the downsides of some of those archetypes, I, I suppose, with a negotiator, sometimes irrational, illogical, don't probably don't like the, the rules of the builder or the temperament of the director. The director can sometimes... And also, sorry, just on that one. Yeah. Uh, they also can't make fucking decisions. Well, they, they, they're constantly just like an endless loop of questioning things. Yeah. Which is... Uh, I talk to people that are high in estrogen all the time and they say that that's the thing they can't stand about their lives. But anyway, go on. Yeah. And so then the director, I suppose, some of the negative aspects of, of that uh, neurochemistry archetype is that they can come across as very cold, uh, unempathetic, uh, callous, rude, even, mm. uh, and they lack mean spirited empathy. Yeah, mm. things like that. For a builder, very rigid, don't, not very fun. Uh, can sometimes be pedantic, moralizing. They come across how like they look down upon people, and they uh, uh, can be hypercritical. And then I suppose with an explorer. Well, there's no, it's the opposite of the, there's no organization there. There's no discipline. There's no foresight. There's no order. They can be real just, train wrecks yes. and particularly susceptible to the drugs. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh man, I, I read that. I did the test. I'm, as we've expected, I, I'm built, but I'm very closely director behind that. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. It does and that's make what I a thought. lot of sense because- uh, just your classic builder would probably go through the motions, live a very stable life. I don't think they would try to become a famous comedian. No. Uh, so I'm very close. I'm builder director. It was one. It was one or two points uh, in between there. It makes a lot of sense. It's helped me understand a lot of my behaviors, why, why, where I've had conflict with people. So if I've had conflict with someone who's an explorer, it's generally because I've tried to impose rules and. They've seen that as, well, essentially a form of personal tyranny. You're trying to restrict me. You're, you're assaulting my autonomy here. Whereas I'm like, no, I need order. I need consistency. I need predictability. I'm trying to impose these, not impose these rules. I'm trying to 
help organize this relationship. Uh, then I was also negotiator was a, a, like a close third as well. I think I'm a pretty sensitive guy too, but Explorer was like pretty down low. And that all makes sense. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, exactly it's so what weird how much of it. It's truly it's reading someone like a book and very quickly. Exactly it's, what you'd expect with me, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how this just doesn't falter and how simple it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, did I you just, remember that point that she was saying that all throughout history, there has been philosophers that have kind of broken people down into four different groups. And she yeah. gave some examples, but they yeah. were just too, too ye old for me to there remember. Was, there was the Greek philosophers. Yeah. I can't remember who they were exactly as well, but, but yeah. you know, and in the middle ages as well. So, and the Renaissance, Keen observers of human beings have observed that you can generally break people down into four different groups. Mm. And then, yes, there's like little sub-traits that happens to them afterwards. I guess that would be like their moon sign as opposed to their star sign. <laughs> but it just yes. really seems so scientific and it's like I- I've never seen it falter. Yeah, it's never. Re- it's really, it's helped me understand people a lot better because when you are that one primary personality type, you sometimes don't understand the way other people are acting and you see that as not necessarily a threat but maybe a sign of disrespect. So if a, if a very direct assented person was just continually arguing with me, I would think, well, this person just doesn't even like me. Whereas to them, that's actually a way directors connect. Mm. She was talking about how directors, when they look for a relationship... They look for someone that is an intellectual equal. That's actually a big thing. I again, because I'm build a director. Like they're very closely linked for me. It's a huge point of attraction for me. Can I have like deep intellectual discussions with this person? Mm. Um, mm. And nothing, I guess, triggers me more than people who just go through the motions and act upon their whims and live this sort of nomadic, adventurous lifestyle because I see that as, well, lacking discipline, lacking structure, uh, well, those two primary facets, but that is how they live their life and that is what they value and I don't need to be judgmental anymore because now I guess I understand. I've been given a framework to better understand people and I always talk on this podcast about how there are people who constantly talk about themselves and their personal stories and their feelings. And I see it as quite self-centered, but I get, that's how negotiators connect. Mm. So I shouldn't take that personally. And they have that really fucking lame phrase of like, I'm an oversharer. Anyone that uses <laughs> that is, is fucking estrogen. But if you want to connect with those people, you actually, if you're not a negotiator, you should be trying to talk about your personal stories and your experiences that... Mm that are similar to theirs, that's a way to connect with them. Yep. And so with a director, the way to connect is sometimes actually to not, well, yeah, to argue, to argue in a, in a respectful way. Mm. Because if you're just pandering to everything they say or if you're just saying, well, yeah, you're probably right, hey, that, that, would, that would come across as weak and not someone they would, I assume. As- but it's also like the testing of the idea. That's what you're trying to do in your head. Yeah. Get the idea yeah. to the point of just being like, is this right or not? And when someone's just sitting there being like, I don't know. It's all just very complicated, isn't it? You're just like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, where's the that nth degree me. of this? No, that, yeah. Where does this go? You're not helping. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, with a builder, 
How do you converse with us? Fucking just don't bother. Don't um, bother. Like, I really think that... No, actually, this is the way that you speak to them. Goals. To the, yes, stick to the plan of mm. what we're conversing about. And like, if, if you are in a working relationship or even a romantic relationship with a builder and they, and they expect something, do it. They will go mental if you don't do it. Yeah. Because they will see that as the utmost sign of disrespect. They do. And you just... But they'll also be the best partners because if they feel secure, they will go above and beyond to make sure they're the best. Yep. So so you got a double-edged sword with a builder. And also builders, and this is actually very uh This is very indicative of your personality as well. They're they're very loyal people. And it's the same with my girlfriend too. They very. they like they'll stick by someone. Yeah. You know? Whereas an, Which is a very admirable trait. And an explorer will do the opposite as soon as it gets... Uh, it's no Unfun. longer an adventure. They don't want to fix anything. They're out. No. Whereas a builder... And that this is clear in my life as well. It's very hard for me to actually... Whether it's fire, someone break up with someone, whatever it may be. I sit there... I want to sit there and like think about different rules, think about different strategies, think about different structures we can put in place to improve... Whatever the problem is, but the last thing I want to do is give up, mm. that because then that's an admonishment of everything. I it's okay, you failed. Well, it's not building, is it? It's not building. It's it's just knocking it all down. Yeah, and and I can't stand that. So yeah, builders are very 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 fiercely loyal people. Yeah, they can come across as you know they're not as fun. And I, I've worked. I'm I'm working on that. <laughs> um. But it depends what your type of fun is. Because to me, for instance, mm. there's nothing I enjoy more than coming and doing this podcast. Same. You know? And it's because, uh, I guess it's just the testosterone in you, but you are willing to test ideas to its nth degree. And that is not fun to most people. But it really just depends what it is. I think that everybody's conventional definition of what fun is, is what people that are high in dopamine do. Mm -hmm. And like- as I'm always saying on this podcast, I just wish that I had more crazy adventures. If I'm actually put in that position every time, I'll be like, no. No, I'm reading a book. I'm, I'm going home. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Look, there's nothing to me reading a, a, a book that I was a challenging, but is... Uh, Red peeling. Yes. That's the best one. Yeah, that, that, that transforms your reality. Like this, I couldn't put it down. Yeah. I read it in a day, two days. Yeah. Uh, it's not a lot. It's 200 pages or something, but uh, it, it's just one of the ones that you just cannot put it. I cannot recommend this book enough. Everyone read it. Why Him, Why Her by Helen Fisher. She writes about these personality types in the context of romantic relationships. So uh, she talks about how two builders are generally quite good for each other, but then builders can be quite bad with the other, which I can now see that in plenty of my previous relationships. What, what bad? How? Because if you if say I'm paired with an explorer, okay. Oh, an explorer makes sense. Yeah, I'm trying to put in rules not as a form of authoritarian control, but as a form of structure, so that there's all. I think Jordan Peterson is a textbook builder. He's constantly talking about order, order, order over chaos. That's mm. exactly what goes on in my mind. Mm. It's like I need order, I need rigidity, I need structure. Mm. Um. So yeah, when you. <laughs> Explorers are the best for, for fun. Let's just say that. 
for short-term flings and things like that. Explorers, explorers create the memories. Best partners for. Well, I tell you who's a really good examples of explorers are Hamish and Andy. Their entire shtick was creating memories for the nation. That's why they yeah. were on air for so long. That's why they were so big. Mm. It was all just things like, let's buy a Greyhound and race it. Oh, okay, let's go to Brazil now. Mm. Like, it was all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's their whole life is just a wild ride. Yeah. I think the comedians I like are builders. I've started to realize, I think Chris Rock, the way he sort of, well, he's building jokes. There's very structured there's a there's a there's a clear foundational structure to the way he writes his jokes, the way he presents them. And even Bill Burr, he's a logician. He 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 makes a point, and it's often quite a controversial point that we haven't heard before. But then he he builds a framework to justify what he said. And it's a very predictable framework as well. Actually, look, that could just be habit, though. It's, I don't know these people personally That's enough to make the decisions. Fair. The fair. only ones that I know for a fact, like the ones that we were talking about before, I can guarantee you those comedians that we say that you can bet your bottom dollar they'll be the funniest shows you've ever been to and there'll be three people there are just those ones that are kind of like half pissed when they go on stage. They're definitely fucking dopamine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no the- one else. There's None of the other groups would be that fucking train wreck of a person. I think most comedians... <laughs> When you when you're attracted, most artists would be explorers. Yeah, probably. Most artists, I think, would have that adventurous flair to them, and the, the you know the trope of the tortured artist comes from people who are. What about tra- painters? I reckon most painters would probably be estrogen, because there's no real you know adventure right. in it. You're right. You know what? Okay, sorry. Let me take that back. Most comedians, I'd say, would be. Uh, dopamine centered. I think maybe most musicians, musicians definitely. It, yeah, or estrogen. They could be. They're big feelers. Actually, it depends what kind of. Okay, dude. Classical yeah. music. They'd have to be the testosterone or builders. Like yeah. you wouldn't have the discipline to do classical. Mu- like to create an entire symphony. You're not wrong. You would need to either be obsessed or obsessed with structure. Wow, I didn't think of it that you way. Know, like I think if, if so, it depends what kind of music you're making because it'd just resonate with you in a different way. If you're a poet. I think you'd have to be a negotiator builder because at least classical poetry, there's a very clear structure to it, mm. but it's all about the emotions that you're putting out there. Mm. So I think- And very imagery based. And that's what people that are high in estrogen are. They're very, they're very imaginative people. And I do feel that as somebody that's high in testosterone, talking to someone that's high in estrogen, that's the people that I talk to, to let off steam. Um, because they're kind of just happy with whatever you're saying and they have the imagination to kind of fill in the gaps. Mm, and that's how they connect with you as well. Yes. Whereas if you're talking to me about how you're feeling, after a while I'll be like, all right, but let's break this down. Let's try to get to the – let's get to some ideas. And the thing is that people that are high in estrogen are happy to do that because they're kind of just happy to fucking connect. Yes. I hear this, but the thing okay, is like but- privately the ones that I know – I do hear them talk talking behind me all the time and they're just being like, they actually do use these words because they're like hyper-emotionally intelligent people. Yeah. But they actually are using the same words that we're using that we had to read in a book to know. But they will be saying things like, the way that I connect with Jordan is through talking about ideas, but we never talk about personal things. And to them, that's depth. 
So when we're saying like ah. you need to have a deep like a deep discussion with me for me to be attracted to you, what we're really saying is you need to be talking about ideas to me. Yes. But they are talking about personal experiences and feelings. That's their depth. They're like yes. exploring the shades of the emotion. Yeah, yeah. And that revelation of their emotional state is a way is 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 emblematic of their trust, I think. Yeah. So then that's the way they connect. Um Whereas, and that's it, definitely like the the Christo, who's a, a dopamine addict, definitely a dopamine addict. He's always organizing little fucked adventures. And every time I'm calling him, he's always just like, hey, man. It was just like, where are you? And he's like, I'm in a sewer. I was like, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I can't. I, that Explorer is like the last thing that's part of my personality. Yeah. That even just hearing that triggers me. I know. What the fuck are you in a sewer for? I don't know. <laughs> it's not. It's not cool, man. <laughs> it's. It's not that the. It's not that people that are high in dopamine are stupid. Like Christo is hypo no, hyper intelligent. Of course, and I'm not. Yeah. It's. It's just that like there's something that's constantly compelling them to be impulsive, and like even when he's speaking. It's something that I, I, I really like it when there's a journalist there because he'll just say whatever the fuck is on his mind and he attacks him and he does a brilliant job at it. But when I'm in a room with like a politician that I like or something, I'm constantly sitting there being like, don't fucking say anything. Just, ah, oh, fuck, here we go. He's, got, he's, he's gone down that hole, you know? Yeah, okay. Like they, they can't really control their impulses. Yeah. <laughs> they're, well, explorer is the apt term for them. They're, they are constantly exploring life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just seeing where things, they're very like, you know. What's the next adventure? Let, let the chips fall where they may kind of people. Yes. They, yes. They're kind of like, if, this is also why they're very susceptible to gambling and drugs, right? Because really in a dopamine addict's mind, they don't care if they get their dopamine hit from getting a high or a low. And that high has to be really high or it has to be really low for the dopamine to kick in. Right. Interesting. Which is why they're going for that roller coaster life. That, right. So they're going which the is the up and exact down. opposite of what you're going no. for in life, which is this. Yeah. Yep. So, like, so you guys just do not see eye to eye. No. See, that's the thing. I think if there's someone I least get along with, it's an explorer. I said that I actually, I think, I think my ex girlfriend was an explorer. See, and it, I was work. guessing that yeah. too. I don't know anything <laughs> about her, but that's no, what no, I'm no. guessing. Okay, look, uh, <laughs> this is just a brief. I don't like, because I'm not a negotiator, I don't like talking about my personal life too much. But, okay, you know how I'm always now really into, you just exp well, this is an explorer facet of me. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, e experimenting with structures of relationships that aren't monogamous, say. So I'm open to, uh, open really, I don't think I want to do polyamory or anything like that. But the reason is that I have meticulously studied all the trends, all the statistics. I've looked at a lot of books on relationships now. I look at the modern world we're living in. I've made a rational decision that I think, I'd, at least for my own sanct for my own self-assuredness, I need to at least explore some of these alternatives to try and come up with some semblance of what the ideal structure of a relationship is for me. There's this meticulous like foundational ethic to why I'm doing this. Whereas the sort of people I think 
in today's world that are attracted to those more non-traditional relationship structures are your explorers and your negotiators, right? So they're like, yeah, I don't want to be bound by rules. This sounds fun. Whereas like I'm coming well, they're from they're not it, even thinking about it. Exactly. In Whereas I'm coming up from a place of no, like this is everything I've read. This is why I think it's a good idea. This is this this is the structure we need to uphold in it, and that is gonna clash. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. It's definitely gonna clash. Because the people that you're going to be meeting in those relationships will just be in dopamine and they'll just be there for the ride. Yes. Yeah, and now I realize that. It's actually better. It's made me just think you know, people are different at the end of the day. You will harmoniously work in a relationship with another builder. Yes, yes. And you know what? We talked about this on a few part, maybe last year, where I think we were discussing, uh, say, you know, monogamy versus non-monogamy and the merits and disadvantages of each. And then I think at the end you were saying, well, look, everyone I know has been in one of those non-traditional relationship structures. It's failed. It hasn't worked. And then I said, yes, that's because I think people on the fringes of society are currently attracted to those, right? I think if two builders tried that, it would work. Yeah. It would be much more likely. But, but, and as she says in the book, a builder is much more attracted to conservative ideas, mm. to tradition, to mm. structure, to mm. what has worked previously. Mm. So, yeah. Anyway, anyway this is just a bit <laughs> of an exploration of what's been going on in my personal life. But then I've also been reading a lot about... Um, so specifically social psychology lately. And I know I did a podcast, well, we did a podcast earlier in this year where I was constantly harping on about how I strive to be this rational person and I always look at life logically. I don't. I don't. Once you've read, read a little bit of social psychology, no one is rational. Yeah, yeah. No one makes truly rational decisions. I think I'm emotionally attached to the idea that I'm a rational person. I'm not. I'm not. There's so many things that... But there's varying degrees. Yeah, there is. There are definitely varying degrees, and people can be. I think this is book title, but you you know predictably irrational. So you can predict how people might react in social situations. There's all sorts of you know there's social desirability bias, and then there's uh, all just inherent tribalism and preconceptions. You know they do these experiments where before they they get a group of people and before they meet a certain person, they either say a few negative things about them or a few positive things about them, and then that person interacts with this group of people exactly the same way in both control groups, and then the difference in opinion afterwards is massive, massive, even though they've interacted with that person exactly the same way. I really don't like that thought. How scary? Dude, just read like some... What book Any, is this? It's a textbook. It's just called Social Psychology 4th Edition. Uh-huh. So I'm reading it. By the way, if anyone in Sydney has uh, studied psychology and has textbooks, I literally, I just want to borrow some. So um, hit me up in the DMs. <laughs> um, Fuck. That's freaking me out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then there's all sorts of experiments. I mean, the classic, you probably know that this is just like your classic psychology experiment, the Milgram experiment. I think it's called the Milgram. It's got, it got people to volunteer to administer electric shocks. Well, there was an actor in a room and then there was someone in a lab coat. So they looked very authoritative as a scientist. And they asked volunteers like, hey, we'll give you some money. You just have to, when the scientist says shock him, 
you got to just press oh, the shock yeah. button. It's so dark. And yeah. then it gets to a point where, like, yeah. the person who in the room is genuinely like, get me out of here. I'm dying. Let me go. And then the person in the lab coat's like, shock him again. And then people <laughs> do something like 60% of people did it to the point where the person died or something. Yeah. Well, that, it was an actor. Then they were like, oh, I'm not dead. But yeah, <laughs> just, just yeah, yeah, fucked, yeah. Man. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm looking up, and then there's there's uh, there's like the prison experiment where just even though they weren't formally trained or so, they just put random people as guards in a prison, and the way they like enact, they just became tyrannical. I mean, yeah, humans are fucked. There's nothing rational about us. No, at all. No. Um, and we all construct our own reality. And many arguments and points of conflict are just a clash of realities. So when people are fighting over things, they're generally trying to fight over something they perceive as objective, I think. So they're, they're, they're saying, you know, if we get an argument over, the, you, you know, you, uh, you disrespected me the other day or something when you didn't answer my text or something like that and you're like no i didn't disrespect you fuck you why are you attacking me for something i didn't do wrong so in my reality you disrespected me in your reality i'm disrespecting you for implying that i disrespect you but the but what i'm trying to get at is that no one's reality is inherently wrong they genuinely feel those those emotions and coming back to this idea of personal truth subjective truth right no one's wrong when they say they're, you know, they're my, this is my truth and this is how I feel. They're correct. Everyone's correct in a way mm. because that if that is their truth, that is genuinely how they feel and it's not fair for me to impose my truth onto them. I guess as a society we just have to answer the question, to what degree do we indulge in people's personal truths? Because... If you never indulge in anyone's personal truth, that's probably a very heartless and callous society. But then if you just constantly are indulging in everyone's personal truth, I think that's what Jordan Peterson means when he talks about, you know, the, the male version of, just in, of imposition of power is tyranny and the female version of an imposition of power is chaos, where it's just totally in the realm of the subjective and this is how I feel, well, we have to... We have to cater to that. We have to cater to everyone's subjective truth. And then tyranny is like, no, we have to impose these this rule, these rules and this order and to an oppressive degree, to mm. a tyrannical degree where there is no sense of individuality. Mm, mm. Um, and I think it's actually ironical. It's like <laughs> reading just a little bit of this has given me, well, it's, it's, it's given me a lot more sympathy for people I don't understand. It's given me uh, a broader view of other people's opinions and, and views. And, well, I wouldn't say it's, oh, I've, I've become woke or anything like that. But when people do say things like, I am being, I am being oppressed, I feel like I'm being oppressed, they're not, they're not wrong. But then if I say, no, you're not being oppressed, I'm not wrong either. Because there's no, it's it's a it's a both of those are just personally constructed realities, and you're trying to project your reality onto the other person. So I just think 
look, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I don't think it's fruitful whether it's in the realm of a, of a personal relationship or even in politics or on Facebook, whatever it is, when you're arguing with someone who is in a very different reality to you and you say things like, oh, well, you're a bad or you're a dumb person or you're wrong, that won't get you anywhere. That will make you feel good about yourself and it, it just definitely won't change anyone's mind, but it will just exacerbate the divide and the uh, the division between the echo chambers that exist. So it, I'm not sure how to converse, but I think I think in trying to be well, in striving to be as emotionally intelligent as I can, but this is just definitely something I still need to work on. I think sort of acknowledging a personal truth, but then saying, "Well, this is my personal truth," might be a better way to converse with someone who is in a very starkly different reality to you. So when you're, okay, so when if you're arguing with a liberal voter, right, you've come to your conclusions based on your reality and they've come to their conclusions based on their reality. So if you're arguing, arguing your points, that's never going to actually get through to them because they're in a completely different reality, as no. are you. But this is the whole thing. It's, it really depends what you're trying to do. So with me, for instance, I am trying to fire up the echo chamber. Yes, and that's I'm, I'm I know just that preaching to the converted, but people always say you're just preaching to the converted. But it's just like, yes, but if you can get the converted to do things, mm. uh, then you are spreading the message. So there is a... Yes, that's There a is a reason to be doing that mm. in that context. If you're trying to convince somebody else... And this is something that uh, he had. Tony Robbins had something like the six degrees of change or something like that. But I remember the one thing that he said, which has just been endlessly helpful. And that's, I swear what won Labor the Queensland election uh, was setting up the Common Sense Brigade and just indoctrinating them in this one point, which is enter their world. Yes. So if you are trying to convince a liberal voter to vote for the Labor Party or just to not vote for the Liberal Party, instead of sitting there and saying, hey, they're actually shit economic managers for X, Y, and Z reasons, they have made up in their mind that they're good economic managers. You don't argue that point. You find out what do they actually hate, and they really fucking hate the Greens. So then you say, hey, the Liberals are preferencing the Greens over Labor. They're in a coalition with the Greens. Then you've convinced them not to vote for the Liberal Party. It's because you found yeah. out what they personally value yes. and you've tried to convince them that, hey, if you're going to be consistent with what you value, it's not even what they, it's not even like logically what they value. It's like emotionally how much they hate something or how much they like something. On an emotional level, when they hear a certain word, do they smile or do they frown? And then if they smile, you say, you know, like Labor does this and if they frown, you're like the Liberal Party does that. That's how you convince people. And people will say that that's dishonest and underhanded, to which I will say that the entire world is dishonest and underhanded and you are manipulating not only other people like that constantly, you are manipulating yourself. Yeah. I mean, this the word manipulation now is just put out there to such a preposterous degree. What is... 
really, what is manipulation? Everyone, to some degree, is manipulating everyone. Mm. When I'm trying to convince you of a point, I'm manipulating you in some essence. Mm. Mm. You know, it, it's just it, that word doesn't mean, it's like racist. It doesn't mean anything anymore to me. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It's because it's kind of just a constant throughout. You're right. It's every action. Every action is a manipulation. Every thought that you have is a manipulation. Uh-huh. Now, I think to, to change someone's reality is a big task. Now, the way I have seen it done is when someone's identity is torn apart by either A, their own reality or the tribe associated with their reality. Now, what I mean by that is if your identity rests on the idea that you are, I'm a kind and compassionate person and I'm part of the tribe that is kind and compassionate, but then that tribe turns against you or you can see that tribe turning against other people in a very unkind and not compassionate way, that's when your reality gets torn apart. That's when you start to question it. But it comes into it, it. It happens internally. Yeah, exactly. And it often happens from the people when when any ideology or any tribe gets to that puritanical level, and if it goes unchecked, it almost always will, because there's always individuals at the forefront of any ideological movement that are going to continually pushing push it and and bastardize it to an extent where all the then well not even the moderates, the people who are not at that extreme level will start to question. So it comes down to, I think I did, a, I said this last year, the accelerating wokeness or whatever, where, you know, that, that concept of accelerating capitalism where, well, the only way to actually see the flaws in capitalism is to let it run wild and then it breaks apart. Mm. Similarly, I think if you resist, I, even on an intrapersonal level, if you're resisting someone's reality and their ideas, often they have mechanisms within their reality that then justify their reality by your resistance. So take, you know, the, the, a sort of a fervent Christian who uh, is arguing with an atheist and then they're like, oh, this person's just, te- this is God sending a non-believer to test my faith. So in their reality is an inbuilt mechanism to just further confirm their reality in your resistance of it. Shit. If that makes sense, right? Yeah. So it's similarly with, a, you know, a, a, someone who's um, a progressive anti-racist in me trying to question, even just question their ideas, oh, that's a symptom. That's how powerful and potent systemic racism is, that it's influenced a person of color, indoctrinated them, and they've internalized the racism. And that's just a further confirmation of my reality. So I don't bring them any closer to my reality. The only way that happens is, I think, internally, when either their reality gets to an extreme degree that they no longer recognize or it's just torn apart in some other way. But I think, you know, reason and rational debate, some people, you just can't actually... There are parts of their reality that are malleable, but there are certain parts that no amount of reason or rational debate... And, and I'm not saying I'm immune to that. I'm sure there are certain... If I truly analysed every facet of my reality, there are certain aspects of it that can't can't be I can't be reasoned out of. I can't be rationally or logically told I'm wrong. Some sort of uh, fundamental uh, 
it will it just shattering of my reality would have to occur for me to reassemble it in a way that no longer looks like what it did previously for it to no longer look like what it did previously shit do you understand what i'm saying it's no like, i understand what you're saying it's just truth. like it's it's like a it's another layer of the problem that i've never comprehended properly Like, just, just the point that you were saying before, it's such a good example, that if an atheist is trying to argue with a Christian, the Christian will have implanted in their head, this is a test from God. Yeah, and I'm sure... There is no way out of that. No, I know, because then that just further reaffirms their reality, and I'm sure, see, I'm not to be the, you know, the uh, patronizing atheist here, because... I'm sure most Christians probably aren't truly having a rational debate. Uh, sorry, most atheists aren't having a truly rational debate with Christians either. No, because, because they when they think, oh, this is just a symptom. This is how brainwashed you are. This is this is just reaffirming my view that I'm the I'm the not brainwashed one. Yeah, so if you go into something thinking someone's brainwashed, you're not going to take anything they say seriously. Yeah, or and, and like the the thing that you're talking about with um you know, the preconceived notion of just someone bitching about someone before they come in and then you hating that person. That is definitely kicking off in an atheist mind when they're talking to a Christian. They're coming into the frame with, you're stupid. Yep. And there's no way out of it from there. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going into anything thinking this person's stupid... Most likely, I'm, I don't think you're ever going to convince them. And then you're then restricting any possibility of them bettering your reality, improving your reality and the way you perceive the world. But the thing is, look, all I'm thinking is I've been thinking about that for a year and I think this podcast has helped a lot with me just coming to terms with the scariness of that thought that everybody is walking around brainwashed and, you know, all their, like, past experiences shaping who they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just one element of it. But what you're saying is that there's – that's one filter. There's numerous other filters going off and they go off with some piece of stimulus, like an atheist versus a Christian. There's going to be certain filters that are happening there. But say that they're talking about, I don't know, what bank is the best to get a home loan with? There's going to be a bunch of different other filters that are going off with those same people. And it's not just a thing of, uh, you know, people have been conditioned to think in a certain way. That's one aspect of it could you make the metaphor that a person's reality or if you want to call it their ideology i think an ideology is part of their reality has a multi-layered defense system to protect the well the memetics of their reality because they want to the the memetics are self-interested to to be passed on in a, in the same way, you know, g- genetics are self-interested to be 
to to flourish. So when they perceive that the reality is under attack, first there's the first mechanism of defense. Well, this person's stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. Then there may be a second mechanism of defense. Like I'm being tested. Shit. I'm being t- then there's a third mechanism of defense. Who knows how far deep that goes? Because they would do any... I'm sure inbuilt into that subconscious reality is a very very desperate attempt to keep that reality intact because people don't give up on things like that very easily it takes a lot to change someone's true conception and understanding of the world especially an adult man i've recommended it before it's so funny that one of the deepest things that i've ever done is just like a pickup artist seminar but that blueprint decoded hmm. uh, as I was just saying that it kind of keeps you up at night and after the third night because it is changing your reality um, that's what it's doing throughout the session of four days and then on the last day he is talking about that but the, it's just another way of thinking about it I guess is that he talks about it as the pillars of reality and for your reality to change, you have to knock down each and every one of those pillars, which I guess is what you're talking about, of them just being like layers of defense to you changing your reality. Yeah, I mean, I'm just theorizing. I don't, think it's, I don't even think it's, well, you know, all of these things I guess are just theories, but fuck. Because, you know, even when you're saying that, I can picture myself in certain scenarios and you can see some of them, which means that there's ones firing off that you are not aware of. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's no reason then. There's no... People aren't rationally trying to defend their reality. They're partaking in all sorts of irrational ideas and cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias and whatever it may be to keep their reality intact. But why? What's the fucking point? You could almost say that the reality itself is separate to the, you know, the the human being or the, the brain or whatever, I don't know, however you want to define it, is, is just the host and the reality is the is the collection of mimetics that is self-interested and wants to uh, spread. And in order to do that, it needs to, first of all, maintain its hold on the host, but then have an inbuilt mechanism in the host to, to spread, to want to spread to other people. So in, say, the real... In a... In a or anyone's reality, they want to, if they feel, uh, if they feel justified in their reality, they're always willing to share it with someone else and try to convince. And then, as soon as they see an opening in someone else, or if it's a vulnerable person, or it's someone who's, I'm curious about your ideas. Bang! That's when you go in. That's when you can detect. Okay, there's an opening in there. De- their f- first four layers of defense are down. Go, go. You're not consciously in control. And I, I can observe that as soon as I'm talking to someone who's 
has fu- fundamentally different ideas to me. Whatever, what am I focused on now? I'm focused on things like, well, yeah, you, you know, psychology and maybe relationships. As soon as I can sense there's a there's a weakness in in someone's in in the defense of their reality, I go all in. <laughs> I'm like, all right, this is the think about this, and then think about this, and then. Am I consciously even in control of that or is that the ideas themselves yeah, look, using me as a host? Like, <laughs> see, that's the whole thing. Like, ah. No one to think about that, eh? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Scary look, you, you t- no, it is, it is something that's very, very, very important to think about. Do you think, say, in uh, many institutions when they have a breaking down process for the freshies if in college or in the army when they break someone down. I've heard even in NIDA in first year, which if you don't know, it's an acting school, they break you down. I never I never understood what that breaking down process was, but do you think it's something to do with deconstructing a person's reality to rebuild it and enforce the norms and the values of that particular institution? So there's no longer... Once you've broken the person's reality down, there will be much less resistance to the new reality being imposed unto them. But how the fuck do they break them down? I suppose the military has got it down to a fine art. Yeah, I don't know. That would have just been trial and error through hundreds of years and uh, probably even psychologists working on it. But you're right. You always hear of that hazing period. It was a breaking down period, you know? Even cults do that. Maybe it's kind of just like enacting a thing of, you know what it is. It's getting that survival survival instinct to kick in because as soon as the survival, and, and putting it in a simulated way, I guess, when it comes to the military, they're trying to simulate a scenario where your survival instinct would kick in and then it would just be like, fuck, my current reality isn't working. Fuck, fuck, fuck. What, like, what's a reality that's going to work in this environment? Because yeah. otherwise, your brain is probably just thinking, this is working good enough for now. Yeah. So it's not going to be looking for any other reason for it. It'll just be wanting to defend it because it's the easiest thing to do. But as soon as it feels like it's going to die or something, that's when it's going to look for answers. Mm. Yeah, you know, we always tend to... So it's just laziness. It's true. The, the, I don't know. Like, I suppose the idea of that you are wanting to lurch, subconsciously lurch your ideas onto other people... You know why? Because that acts as a fucking defense mechanism. Sure. Because if everyone around you thinks it, then you don't have to think about it either. Could that be the one thing that makes us unique as humans in that for other species to to procreate and, and, and I suppose spread their themselves and copies of their well, their genetic code, not, I guess, their idea code, they need, well, that exists purely in the realm of the of the physical, right? They need to, to mate. Mm. Whereas with human beings, that's part of what we can do. We can spread our genetic code, but we have the capacity to spread our intellectual code. And that's a part of ourselves. 
So we've we've been influenced by any number of given realities, right? To then conduct our own unique. Well, maybe it's probably not. If you look all throughout here, well, it would be unique because we're living in we're always living in a unique time period, and we are a unique person in that time period. So chances are it's somewhat unique. And then we have an inbuilt Darwinian mechanism to try and spread that part of ourselves. And we're not even consciously aware of it. We as as the body, is, we're just the host. But it's really the ideas have the interest, them, well, they're not obviously conscious entities, but they want to spread. They are like, we need to get out into more. Because they could spread it. You know, if I'm talking to five people, boom, suddenly they're... And, and I convince five people of whatever point. Are we self-interested to try and make copies of ourselves, not just in a genetic way, but in an in the way we think? So if I convince five of my friends to basically think exactly the same way I do, now this is virtually impossible, but to have exactly the same reality as me, then I've been you know, evolutionarily successful because my ideas have have spread too far, you know, they've multiplied. And then there's an inbuilt mechanism within each of those realities for them to, to then spread it. And there's a higher chance that those people will defend you if your life is threatened. Well, didn't even, well, okay, did not even think of that. Well, it's true, right? There you go. Yeah, and more likely to share resources with you. Like, how much more likely is a Christian to fight for another Christian and a Muslim to fight for another Muslim? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they've done studies on that. We, we, you know, we do actually tend to bond intrinsically more with people who look, who look, who look like us and sympathize, have a greater degree of sympathy for people who just look like us. So we are all to some degree racist, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. But I, uh, to me, honestly, I really do think that the ideas are more powerful than that. I, I really think that, like, the classic example is Islam. Like, in Islam, you know, if you're a brother, like, really doesn't matter what you look like. The, the, the way they treat you is very different to if you're not a brother. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's a pow- it's a powerful ideology, extremely powerful. So I think that actually, really, ideas might be. Uh, look, I, I don't know enough. I really don't know enough. But it really seems like. Ideas might be the driving force and the thing that is even more likely to get people to fight for you and defend you than just the mere fact that you look like someone else. Yeah. Because it kind of drills into your psyche. It drills into you more. You've got all these justifications for why you should be doing it. Yes, and then the classic example in in ways where people differentiate yeah, humans too. Although I don't think this happens all across the animal kingdom, but you know, a suicide bomber or someone who kills themselves before they've had kids, 
what is their evolutionary drive to do that? They're not spreading their genes at all, but they are living out their ideas. And I think intrinsically they're they're trying to spread their idea through their death they think that is the best possible way to spread their their reality mm. so even these mass shooters now these 4chan mass shooters that then put a manifesto and a video out there they've spread their reality far more than even you and I I mean I mean you've spread your reality pretty far <laughs> but well, it depends what mass shooter you're talking about. Some yeah, of them are pretty world famous. Let's, let's be honest, that's very true. So they've taken it upon themselves to to become extremely evolutionarily successful, actually. And maybe that's why people are so attracted to serial killers, because they're like, well, this guy's spread his ideas, man. <laughs> Fuck, it's a weird way to think. I've never thought about it before. You're always just so conditioned to thinking that it's all about spreading genetics. Yeah, but, but maybe they're spreading maybe reality mimetics. Oh, fuck, I don't know. It I don't know what like more powerful. It's definitely more powerful, but maybe like on a primal level, maybe you're pushing for that more than you're pushing for genetics. Potentially, potentially, right? Oh, that could be interesting. Is there any? If anyone's uh, deeply interested in this subject. Let me know if there's any literature on that I can read. I'm fascinated by that. Because, you know, like what you're just saying there, if someone's suicide bombing and they haven't had kids, then the idea won out over the genetics. Yeah, and the ideas won out dramatically. Dramatically. Because, because those ideas are then spreading far and wide. Maybe that's why fame is such a potent aphrodisiac after all, because it's hey, this person's reality has already has all. It's not even that it has the potential to spread; it has already spread to thousands, sometimes millions of people. A, a small part of that reality has already influenced others, and so it's already been a. If you're a, you know, you as a as a commentator, say there's a, you know, a million people that have seen your work. To some degree, their reality has been influenced by your reality. Mm. So you have spread yourself far more than even say a man who's had five kids, because then he spread his genes. Um, well, he spread fifty percent of his genes to five people. Whereas even if you've spread 0.1% of your reality to a million people. I don't know. I actually don't know the maths there, but I'm assuming uh, 0.1 of... Okay, one, oh my God, this is going to be embarrassing. Fuck, in a way, okay. you are... <laughs> a thousand. Fuck, I don't know. Now it's getting too poetic. I don't even... Well, it's. I don't even know if it's getting poetic or scientific anymore, but it's like... Maybe... You've left a greater imprint... On the world than the person who's had five kids. Yeah. Because you've spread a thousand percent of your... Because if you've spread a point one percent... If everyone else has been influenced... If a million people have been influenced point one percent by reality, that's a thousand... 
percent. Yeah, a million times. Is a thousand. Yeah. Whereas someone who's had five kids, that's fifty times five. That's two hundred and fifty. So yeah, anyway, that math that's a very poor way to quantify it per se, but let's say it is. They've spread their genes, you know, themselves if there's if it's one unit or something, they've spread it two hundred and fifty times, you've spread it a thousand times. In that very high in that I don't know if the math's there as Yeah, up, but it's but just I, so weird because like now it's just this thing of rationally that makes sense. But, like, isn't it insane if that is actually biologically encoded into people to do that? That evolution somehow got that. to that. Because, man, human beings are so much scarier than I originally envisioned, if that's the case. Well, it can't. Surely, I would guess that. It, I don't know. You'd have obviously have to test that hypothesis somehow, but... It would make sense because, to some degree, we are very, we are definitely malleable. And over generations, ideas then do influence the genetics. If you have a culture that all it, all it values is working out every day, we work out eight hours a day. Well, then that will alter the genetics over time. Mm. Hell, over five generations, they'll be fucking massive. Mm. They'll all be seven foot and jacked. So, if you're influencing a million people. Some de- somewhere between 0.1 to 5%, and then that 0.1 and 5%, then that then goes out there. They then interact with other people. That becomes part of their reality. So your reality then keeps continually spreading exponentially because the more people you initially influence with your reality, then that reality keeps going. And then that would then influence the genetics. And then there'd be an interplay there where the genetics would also inf- influence the ideas. Mm. So but I it's... can't see how it... I, intuitively, I would guess that there probably is some sort of intrinsic biological urge to spread our reality or our mimetics, if you will. Well, I just remember reading a biologist years ago. I can't even remember his name, but he had this one sentence that's always stuck out, which was... Life does does one thing. It wants to survive. Yeah. Well, you're living. Well, that's on. like that's the yeah that's the primary motive of life. Doesn't matter if it's a plant. Doesn't matter if it's a human being. That's what it's trying to do. Yeah. Ideas would be the ultimate way to survive. If you are imprinting it into a million people, that is a much higher survival chance and rate than, yeah, having your five kids. Yeah, you've left a legacy there. This isn't, you know, a lot of the traditional wisdom is like, yes, have kids, but then also write a book and plant a tree. I think that's the Jewish thing. You write a book, you plant a tree, you have kids. Because those are things that live on after you. But the writing of the book, that's that's a way to spread your ideas on a mass scale. Yes, it is. So when we're yes, talking about genetics, where, where, where uh, yes, there are some exceptions, such as your Genghis Khan or whatever, but generally we're speaking about spreading a huge part of our genetic code to a small amount of people. So most people would have, say, zero to eight kids. 
right? That's I'd say 99.9% of the population would have that amount of kids. Mm. But you don't have the potential to genetically influence a mass amount. Again, like there's exceptions like your Genghis Khan or whatever, but generally you very rarely have the potential to influence a massive amount with your genetic code. But you do, well, nowadays, especially with the internet and mass media, you have the potential to influence help the whole human population to a certain degree with your mimetic code. Mm, mm. And in some ways that could be more potent. If we're talking, if we're saying the individual is just a collection of memes and genes, then yeah, you're not spreading 50% of yourself to three people, but you're spreading 0.01% of yourself to millions of people. And they're then going to maybe spread that, continually spread that 0.1% of you and and what is our meme? It's just it's memes that have been passed down through the ages, anyway. But the other thing that's really weird about it, and and extremely, extremely alpha, is that the best way to spread around on social media is to kind of just sell people what they already think and what they already know. Um, like okay, so for okay, instance, you're like not really spreading, it, 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 but somebody did. Yeah. Somebody did put those ideas in there and they're so strong that the only way to spread through to those people is to enforce the idea that was already there. So that whoever, in, whoever, well, whether they came up with that idea or organically developed, that person is still living vicariously through us. And is in such a structural place that it's kind of like impossible to, or like really, really hard to root that out. Damn, they have really left the mark then. Haven't they? Yeah, whoever... Whatever those ideas were and whoever started them. Because, like, man, you notice this all the time. It's just something that happened to me recently with YouTube, right? Like, I just thought, okay, I know that you're supposed to enter people's worlds. So, I'll just start talking about, like, fucking Trisha Paytas or, like, some Instagram page that I saw or whatever. And it just wasn't accepted. And the reason that it wasn't accepted is because it wasn't in the realities of those people. But then, as soon as you start talking about something like a current affair or maths or something like that, then it does. And it's because that idea has already been implanted in their head. That idea is part of their reality. So you can't just spread ideas around. Mm -hmm. Someone has to actually like drill them in first. And then it's just very easy after that to just keep flowing it from there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, I mean, I guess we'll conclude this one because it was meant to be a short one. It was not. But, um, well, that's what she said. Fucking hell. Um, uh, well, coming back to the defense mechanisms people may have to protect their reality, what we need to do is conduct ourselves in a way that isn't a threat to their reality, almost be a Trojan horse. Because if you're coming at them with a reality that is observably different, that is a threat. Whereas if you're coming at them with, yeah, look, current affair maps, these are all the things that are in your reality, their defenses go down. All right, I'll, what do you get? What do you, all right, what, what do you have to say? And then you can sort of subversively, you know, sneakily put in little parts of your reality if you want to do that. You don't have to do that. I'm, I'm not saying you don't always have to do this in a Machiavellian way. But so when you say, when you do the videos about your maps and your current affair, that's, that's sort of like an ideolog ideological Trojan horse maybe if you want to think of it that way. I don't know. Do you agree? Well, it's definitely the thing. And you know what? Actually, I was talking to this with Bill Shorten and he refuses to do it. But 
this was something that I said to him because he was just saying, now that I'm not the opposition leader, I want to be doing things that, you know, are a bit more risky than I wasn't allowed to do when I was opposition leader. And I said to him the first thing, and I, I don't even think it was a risk, but I was just like, you know what happens when I think of you? I think of you as just a politician. Any politician that has something else that they can use as that Trojan horse. So say with Scott Morrison, the Sharks. Say with Albo, uh, the Rabbitohs. Say with Clive Palmer, Tim Tam. Something that isn't political, but you can associate that with them. Mm. When I think of Bill Shorten, all I think about is Bill Shorten, politician. Yeah, yeah, same. I think about him and I think, yeah, politician. Yeah. But with all the other ones, there's something there that is just a little less fucking tribalizing. You know about their personality, and I just just really quickly, but when I think of because now, if it's a female politician, well, well, woman, that's a huge part of a tribal reality now. Hmm. No, actually, you know what? It it depends. It depends because some people are like, I'm not gonna vote for a woman, but then there are a lot of women now that are like. Oh, whether or not they'll immediately vote for someone simply because they're a woman, it would be a huge influencing factor. I want to support the, I want to support a woman to the highest office. Yes, but that's the whole thing. It's just some female politicians are always drawing attention to the fact that they're female. Other female politicians yes. are always drawing attention to the fact that they're not drawing attention to the fact that they're female politicians. That's true. It, it, yes, it's, it's a double-edged sword because it can be a, an, an advantage and a disadvantage. Well, no, it's just like it's an advantage with a certain voting block. Like, as yeah, you're saying, like, yeah. you can just be like, I'm a politician and a woman. Or you can say, I'm a politician. I'm a politician. Uh, like, you can say, I'm a politician and I just so happen to be a woman. And that's not why I'm trying to get people to vote for me. And you'll be attracting a different type of audience for that. Yeah. And you probably wouldn't lose. But I mean, I don't know. You might. But then I think that's why a lot of people say, you know, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a. I'm a wife. Because I always used to hear that. I'm like, I don't give a fuck if you're married. Bro, you've got a ring on your finger. Cool. What are your ideas? Yeah. But now it totally makes sense. It does make sense. But I think they're just kind of like outdated, boring. You need a meme. You need a meme attached to you. You need to ride off the coattails of something that's popular. Like, dude, people like the footy. So you attach yourself to the footy. Or like people like Tim Tams. You attach yourself to Tim Tams. It's kind of like I'm a father and stuff like that. It's it's like so overused and so broad and generic. As you were Maybe saying, like us. it works to a certain person. Yeah. But like if you're just going to cut across mainstream, this is why I was saying to Bill, I was like, dude, comment on maths. You know, <laughs> like I was. that was actually my fucking advice to him. Maybe, he was yeah. just like, are you fucking joking? And I was like, no. All right. Well, we got to wrap this but one yeah, up because yeah. the battery is nearly running out. So thanks for listening and watching this one, guys. We will see you next time. Bye.